So, this was a bit of an unplanned episode. We had the next Alex and Sharon Stonespring Maidens interview scheduled, but Alex had an opportunity to get a booster shot unexpectedly, and he wanted to cancel because the booster shot was likely going to kick his ass. Toby and I said okay, and I made new plans. That Wednesday, I started my day by watching the Hawkeye finale at 3am, went back to bed, and then bought tickets to see Spider-Man No Way Home at a 10.30am matinee. Alex then came back with, I don't feel so bad, we could do today if you want, and I said I'd get back to him. After the movie, my head was too full of, well, a lot of thoughts, and none of them New Century related. I needed to go home and take a brief nap, and decided to go and just have a bit of social time with my co-host, instead of trying to manage an interview. Sure, the questions were already written, and Alex and Sharon would be doing more of the heavy lifting, but a good interview deserves my focus, and just chatting with Toby would let me externalize a few things about the movie and get them out of my head. As a result, there's a bunch of discussion I cut out of the Skype recording I made with him, because it's not relevant to Through the Window content. But what we did end up doing is an impromptu sequel to our last Toby and Greg React recording from early 2020. To set the stage, at the time, Alex had released a bunch of artwork for Stonespring Maidens, Panther Soul, as well as the planned titles and fonts for the books planned for Phase 2. A lot has changed since then including the fact that some of those books have been retitled, and others moved to Phase 3. As of now, Alex has been releasing the cover artwork for four new books coming for Phase 3 over the last few months. To wit, the two upcoming Princess Thieves books, his new gothic vampire novel, and one that appears to center a black ronin samurai. Toby and I had been responding on the Discord as they were shown, but on this day, we decided to try to compile some of those earlier thoughts with new ones, and discuss them back and forth. This means that we're a little unfocused, because I didn't outline this ahead of time, and there will likely be editorial inserts into this recording as I attempt to fill in parts of our discussion with more considered conclusions especially since we had a cap on the amount of time we could talk, and certain subjects made us go on and on like we do. This is all speculation on our part, of course, but we're professionals about speculating about New Century by now, so we're good at it, or at least, I hope, entertaining. Also, fair warning, this is going to be a spoiler-laden episode. At this point, we are mostly presuming that you are caught up with Uncivil Outlaw and Stonespring Maidens, as well as, of course, the original Princess Thieves. There might be some reference to the other books Alex says he has planned for Phase 3, and if there is any commentary on the books that have not come out in audio drama yet, namely Nightfall of the Wendigo and Back in Time Plus Space, I may either trim out that commentary or put in a spoiler warning if the discussion is useful to the subject matter. Otherwise, I will presume all listeners are caught up with the books that are most relevant to the ones we are discussing today. With that intro out of the way, let's get started. There's a couple different things that 
go into discussing some of the future stories of New Century, which are related to conversations of the MCU, which is one notable tangent to work off of in terms of the creation of a specific universe of storytelling, but also Mm. the concept of the multiverse, which is something that existed far before the MCU started to try to address it in more recent TV series and movies. Um, Mm. But it's something that is actually starting to become really popular because even though it's existed in some movies that have been out there before, I think that everyone is taking a look at that idea and being like, okay, is there a way that we can make our own new property out of this concept? Because Mm. uh, I very recently saw a video, excuse me, a video, a movie trailer for a new movie with Michelle Yeoh that definitely seems, yeah. Doesn't that look like the fucking coolest shit doesn't that just look great i i definitely admit that i am very intrigued by everything everywhere all at once um Mm -hmm. primarily because i am very intrigued by the personalities that they're pulling into this and what new way they're going to try to express this idea of the multiverse or of one character and their overlapping of in in, in different worlds it feels a little bit sensate it feels a little bit mm-hmm. um to, to 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 do a very uh deep pull it feels a little bit the one with jet lee all the way back in the 2000s mm-hmm. um but it's focused on a female character. It's focused on an older female character, Michelle Yeoh, who has been wonderful in everything that I've ever seen her in. But she's mm-hmm. also, like, if there's one thing that I'm pleased about having Michelle Yeoh be a lead character, it's that she's in that phase of her life where you would think that she would be supporting characters only or mentor characters or even just cameos the way she has been in a lot of the MCU stuff that she's been involved with. Here she gets to be the lead, and Mm. I want to encourage that kind of thing. I want to encourage any kind of story that's going to have an older woman in particular in the Mm. lead role because we don't see that all that often we don't and i'm i'm just like excited by that i think that something that has this really unique premise and all of that i think everything about the premise could totally have been done with a very bog standard like the sort of unfortunate implication of a movie like free guy as Mm. much as that is a great movie love it is that the Ryan Reynolds sort of <laughs> template is the sort of default. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly something you want to 
encourage that impression of, but it's nevertheless representative of this attitude in the media that we engage with, is that this is very much just this overrepresented subset of the population. Yeah. And I think that anything that looks at the story that, like, would go with this is, okay, we could do this with this particular kind of John template, but that means we could do it with literally anybody else. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy with anything that says, isn't this whole scenario just a little bit, or indeed a lot more interesting Mm -hmm. when we actually explore this through the energy of someone who we don't see tap into exactly that. So uh, everything and everywhere, is it everything and everywhere? Everything, everywhere, all called? at once. No, it, it the, the, okay. the, yeah, there's, there's, there's no, uh, what's it called? There's no and in between. And I feel like that sort of contributes to the overwhelming concepts mm. that are presented in the trailer itself. See, the title is a perfect title. I really like it. Unfortunately, whenever I hear it, I get confused between (laughs) that and the Bo Burnham Inside song, Welcome to the Internet, which just goes, anything and everything, all of the time. Uh, And just the idea of the internet uh, flooding you with everything and anything all of the time. And like this is also a great summation of the multi-universal, multi-dimensional, multi-modal thing that they're doing with this, which is great. But yeah, we've sort of gotten off track. And yet the point of bringing up this film is that Gee Willikers, isn't that a little bit like what we enjoy here at Through the Window and New Century Productions? Just stuff that leans into... Imagine for a moment that that there's all these worlds and that they can overlap and feed into one another and we can learn and expand and cross-pollinate and have that Venn diagram circle where if you sort of overlap them, new colours emerge. And isn't it fucking splendid? Combining things is how you get interesting new things. I definitely Mm. appreciate that. Uh, And I don't want to get too much further off track with everything, everything, everywhere, all at once, because that is definitely its own thing. But I will mm. say that one of the more unusual aspects to it that got my attention the most was just that ending image of Michelle Yeoh taking one of those bobble eyes, which we don't really understand how they play into the story yet, and just sort of puts it on her third eye with just sort of an unusual confidence and be like, okay, I want to know more about what that's fucking about. The teaser poster is literally apparently just the title plus a whole bunch of bobble eyes. So this is going to be important, I guess, in the way that Mm. we associate the trailing green text falling down with (laughs) the matrix. The, the bubble eyes are like pills that like you sort of see in like I, I now want to see the like Morpheus scene like recreated where he's just holding like two bubble eyes in his hand like googly eyes and if I was to guess I would imagine that those weren't necessarily 
They could, but they might not necessarily have a practical value in any sense mm -hmm. and are more just that way of symbolically like sort of doing the third eye, but mm -hmm. it has this delightful overlap with the idea of just using whatever's to hand. It doesn't matter if it's mundane and a little bit silly. It's something mm -hmm. that exists within your world that you can take hold of and apply it to yourself. And also, if this is a film that goes in all sorts of parallel and wibbly-wobbly uh, directions, wouldn't it make your eyes go a bit googly? Mm. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, <laughs> this is the problem, is that I come onto this to talk to you about <laughs> some things. Well, I mean, th 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 there were many different purposes in our uh, having a bit of a chat together also what are you drinking is uh that this cider? is uh nope this is just uh lager um a very basic one so it's just sort of something to the side so it's not a cider though that is usually my drink of choice but mm -hmm. i was in a lager mood this evening okay you drink a lager drink yeah. you drink a cider drink <laughs> songs that oh, you drink the whiskey drink <laughs> I don't know the songs to remind me of the bad times. I get knocked down, but I get up again, Greg. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, okay. Um, do I want to try and get back on the topic that I originally started on, or I just want to plow ahead? I think plow ahead, because yeah. my brain <laughs> this just... This is our feels, party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My brain just feels a little over full at the moment when I'm thinking about everything that... No Way Home was trying to accomplish when I'm trying to think mm. about what something simpler like the Hawkeye TV show was trying to accomplish and bringing it back to New Century the thing that I appreciate New Century being capable of doing is having stories that are very specifically part of their own world and yet still having them being able to cross over and have characters from very different worlds and genres and the things that we accept as being normal shifting around more than a little bit. And sometimes those things are the tools that they have in order to respond to problems in that world whether it's simple technology like guns, whether it's complex technology like the crystal technology in Stone Spring Maidens in Autumn, or the steampunk technology that Harry specifically be, is able to bring to the fore, whether it's just the fact that they are a different species and therefore have different strengths, such as in Tiger's Eye, which also has its own form of magic, much like the princess thieves world which when the princess thieves was originally introduced to us it was a by its own nature a combination of the world that the dwarf and the Akka came from with some amount of industrial revolution england because they had mm. had things like factories and guns and you know other kinds of technology available to them as being pertinent to the era but the combination of the two very much made it its own world 
And mm. even all of those worlds are going to be combining with each other when we start getting into literally a story called Four Worlds Collide. And I think the significance of all of that, particularly as we go forward and look at some of these new covers for the upcoming Phase 3 of New Century, is that constant ability to continue to have stories encapsulated in their own worlds, which can still cross over and still be considered part of the larger scope of like you don't just because you've had these worlds cross over it doesn't mean that you can't go back to them and continue to tell stories that only exist in those worlds that's part of the Mm -hmm. reason why i'm very interested in what crystal punks is going to do for the future it's why I'm very interested in, well, why I very much enjoyed Panther Soul as much as I did. Because even mm. after Hrow and even after Hrow left her world to come into Miguel's and take part in it in Steamheart and in Uncivil Outlaw to a little bit, we were still able to go back to it with new characters and learn more about Rama. Mm. And have a story that is deep in the heart of that world without having the world of Century be a huge factor in what's going on with that. I like the combinations, but I also like, let us look more closely at this world and tell stories about it that allow us to dive deep into a single setting and genre without necessarily having to cross over. We've done that before. We have that tool in our pocket, but I like the mixing and matching and the finding of new flavors as a result of that. Completely. And the best comparison I can make is that, you know, you create new colors by blending pre-existing colors together, but that doesn't mean that an artist just decides I'm never using the isolated colors ever again. It's like, no, they they will. Like, that is just as much part of the spectrum as everything else. And it's a fascinating set of books. Of course it is, because, you know, we wouldn't be doing what we do if they weren't. But in this instance, what fascinates me is that to say that, oh, each book is focusing on telling its own story is absolutely the case. I think it would be naive or at the very least inaccurate to say that Alex isn't thinking about Mm. how each piece builds the larger picture of New Century and what direction, whether in big ways or subtle ways, it's steering the emerging grander narrative in. Just because that's something that Alex will constantly be thinking more than anyone, more than even you or I, that doesn't mean that it's not the case that these books do actually make sure that first and foremost they succeed at telling this time travel story, this jungle book twist, this uh, survival horror narrative. It's always servicing the whole, but it is before that servicing itself. And if there's something that I have a, a deep appreciation of is the alchemy that Alex often manages to use 
when crafting any story, even if it focuses on a specific genre or a specific central piece of work as its direct inspiration. So when I look at, say, the covers of Thief Knights and Dragonflights, and then from there also the cover of The Worst Unicorn, it means that I'm already seeing the blending of different influences that's going on there, and my brain already starts to get over full a little bit with, like, seeing the interconnecting pieces and trying to infer what these pieces all mean, whether they're symbolic or indicative of what's actually going to be present in the story itself. Mm. Not to mention keying into all of that, not simply the images themselves, but everything that we've heard Alex say about what he plans for these stories or what he's thought about Mm. planning for these stories among the many months and even like over a year now that we have been intaking all of the various data, all of the Mm. scraping, one might say, in terms of like, okay, this is one little piece of data here, is another little piece of data here. I have very recently been listening to uh, John Cordes's podcast on hacking, and he was more specifically talking about the experience of the kinds of data mining that hackers do, but also um, professions like skip tracers do, in order to collect a whole lot of data on a person, whether it's to like find them after they've tried to disappear, um, which is, skip tracers generally try to be like, okay, this person skipped out on an enormous bill or they skipped out on like appearing in court and everything like that. I'm now doing a whole bunch of collection of data in order to try and figure out where they are. And so <laughs> that's the, the, that's the brain, that's the gear that's sort of turning in my head right now as I look at these images of these books, but also collected all the little bits of data that we have over the years. And now it's like this enormous puzzle. And how much of the puzzle can we now fit together based on all of this information? That's the analogy that I'm using here. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's time. Yeah, I'm seeing, I'm checking my clock. You know what it's time for? Rampant speculation. Yes, exactly. Rampant speculation. So I have the covers and I also uh, I don't know if you have been on the New Century thread today, but uh, the cover of Black Ronin has actually finally been shown off to the public. Mm-hmm. So we are no longer under NDA with that. Yes. And Alex is also if he hadn't confirmed it before, it is his current working list of what phase three the order of it will be mm-hmm. so we actually know the order of which of these books to expect and when now we don't have the cover of four worlds collide or crystal punks the cartographer's world book and we certainly don't have the cover for end of a century i doubt that alex will even show that to us until we finished end of a century but 
We do have, in order of when they are releasing, Castle of the Moon, Thief Knights and Dragonflights, Black Ronin, and The Worst Unicorn. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, what order you wanted to talk about these in? Well, I feel like I don't necessarily want to talk about them in release order, because at the That's very least, fair. two of these are very clearly going to kind of be their own thing, kind of isolated thing. But mm-hmm. Thief Knights and Dragonflights and the Worst Unicorn are both part of the same world. And the irony there is that this is almost coming back to back when you and I first started because <laughs> we discussed, okay, what are these stories going to be about all the way back before you and I had even put out two episodes of Through the Wind Door. Back when all we had was the original title fonts for what at the time was just going to be called The Dragon Thieves and then The mm-hmm. Worst Unicorn. And we didn't necessarily know what to think about then. We still were only going off of the events of The Princess Thieves. And so much more information has come to us since then, particularly in terms of how difficult it's been for Alex to approach this world, what he actually wants to do with it, and so therefore how he's put it off and tried to focus on other things, which is technically how we got Castle of the Moon to begin with. Sometimes he ends up going in unusual directions and coming up with whole new fascinating things and this has happened before because he had ended up taking a break from Steamheart and writing three whole books in between that. The first of those being Princess Thieves and then also doing the smaller stories of Let Them Go and The Christmas Thieves before finally coming back around to Steamheart. So this is just proceeding as Alex yeah. has in the past. What we're saying is that we expect Phase 3 to have one or two surprise additions before this is all done. I mean, I think that as he's laid it out in the New Century thread, which you were referring to earlier, is that the the entry of Castle of the Moon, as well as the Black Ronin, those are the surprise ones. Those are the stories Mm. that Alex did not expect to write but was heavily encouraged to spend some time in because he wasn't necessarily making as much headway with books that he'd planned to do two years ago now. Like, again, the two following books on from The Princess Thieves, those are originally supposed to be Phase 2, and they have now been pushed into Phase 3, partly because of the pandemic, but also partly because of just, you know, other stuff going on in terms of Alex's brain and trying to figure out, you know, this is a story he wanted to tell at one point. It doesn't work as much anymore. So how does he cut the Gordian knot there and work Mm. that into whatever new directions his brain is going in, how that's going to fit into the story of the Princess Thieves heroes and the greater narrative of New Century in general? Hmm. Looking at the cover of Thief Knights, mm-hmm. I think it's just we're in this weird state where, to me, this is, I mean, first and foremost, it's an Empire Strikes Back poster. Mm. Fantastic. 
which refers to this being the middle part of the Princess Thieves trilogy. Mm-hmm. And the nag is wonderfully wearing like the gear from Hoth, which I think is great, not for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is that it's basically just directly alluding to, yes, we, we know what we're doing. We, <laughs> we do. I also suspect that the nag wearing human-called weather gear is to establish him as a main character, and not a mere tauntaun. We remember what happened to them, after all. Also, I'd like to imagine that with Malayne on the nag's back, the nag wearing that gear makes me think that he's basically positioning himself as the one like who's at the reins. So he's probably riding Malayne in his head. It's just <laughs> like... Something that I... And this will be relevant to my discussion of um, the worst unicorn, but the nag having a silver mane, is that something that comes up when he is revealed to be this majestic unicorn pegasus and when his true nature is revealed and his mane turns a different colour because I was looking back at uh, old artwork of both Mm -hmm. Christmas and Princess Thieves and when the nag looks like his unassuming uh, normal self he has a black mane so I was just curious if you can remember if this is a detail that was there with the transformation. It's been a very long while since I remember exactly what the details of his transformation in The Princess Thieves was like. Obviously, mm. the big reveal was the unicorn horn and the wings, making him, depending on what mythology you're working from not actually a unicorn but an alicorn Alicorn. like a unicorn tends to be very specifically just a horse with the horn and some potential additional magic associated with that because a unicorn horn is supposed to have magic in it whereas Mm. the pegasus just tends to be like okay it's a horse it has wings it might be intelligent it might not be but it's primarily just mm. like, oh yes, this horse flies in addition to everything else. The <laughs> nag is very clearly meant to be his own thing. He has the horn, he has the wings, he has intelligence, and he may have other powers besides that, but he's supposed to be a little bit of a send-up of Shira's steed. This would be Swiftwind from the original 1985 Shira cartoon, since at time of writing, the new Noel Stevenson cartoon had not come out. In both cases, Swiftwind himself was classified as an alicorn, but was given much more of a character in the later show rather than just transformed by the sort of power and given speech. By the way, I did finally look back at the old Princess Thieves book, and indeed, the nag's mane does change color with the emergence of horn and wings. I'd say the nag is trying to keep a lower profile on the Thief Knight's cover, except his horn is still impaling the hoth cap. The nag is something else again, particularly in how the third book of the series is supposed to be titled The The Worst Unicorn. I get the Mm. feeling like he also kind of perceives himself as being the protagonist of his own story. So Mm. when you were talking about him wearing the Hoth helmet, 
you you see that he's sort of like skewered it through his horn. So he's <laughs> he's very understandably making a reference to the fact that he knows he's in an Empire Strikes Back poster, but also just like, look, I'm going to be doing my own thing here. I don't have respect for anything, much less the beloved middle movie of an epic trilogy and everything like that. He's basically a PG-13 Deadpool, if Wade was a unicorn, which somewhat matches with the fact that he doesn't bother to look nice when he's in his normal state. He might even narrate the worst unicorn solo. Maybe kidnap Fred Savage. That's pretty much it, that like in both the second and the third covers, the nag is kind of resents... Irreverent and almost like resents the genre that like you're trying to make this book appear to be because in this one, everything about this cover screams fantasy adventure, and then you just have someone who is making a reference to like one of the most well known fiction or science fantasy, whatever particular genre you like to put Star Wars in. Star Wars, in terms of Lord of the Rings fantasy-esque setting is pretty far away, so him uh, making a visual reference to that is quite a sort of, yeah, I know you're trying to do this whole Desolation of Smaug thing, and I'm not here for it. (laughs) And then in The Worst Unicorn, he's literally overriding the cover. It's like there was a cover to this book before he showed up, and maybe that cover just said the unicorn because that's the thing that's sort of iron plated and everything. And it's just his a sort of little bit of handwriting, like as if he defaced it with him, like his own touch of it. To be honest, even though the title font that Toby is talking about is purple and in a messy cursive style, also the messy cursive in question is the exact same as the one used for the previous book. I get the feeling that what Toby here is responding to is what the original plan title was supposed to look like. We'll throw up the original image released in April of 2020 in the show notes, but the book in question was ostensibly supposed to be titled The Dragon Thieves, and then someone visibly crossed that title off and wrote The Worst Unicorn in a style resembling defacing graffiti. Back then, We didn't know if this was going to be one book or two, and in the months since, this idea has clearly undergone a lot of metamorphosis. And not only that, but him coming up with a Sawney Walkman, and that just looks, (laughs) I mean, it's like a reference to a few things, like, to me, at Mm -hmm. first it just looks Guardians of the Galaxy as hell, like that first sort of moment when... Peter Quill gets onto the planet, he's about to get the um, Infinity Gem, and he just puts it in, and it's this big, very somber, sort of science fiction, dark planet, and he just puts it in, and... I feel like that's the same energy that uh, the Nag is bringing to the cover of that book. He is going to do his damnedest to make these books definitely go against type. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's putting his face in front of Gwendolyn doing the one of the traditional poses, much like mm-hmm. the original Princess Thieves 
Gwendolyn posing with the Arkin Blade on the original cover. Very recently, I got to see a cover for one of the Skyward Sword. Yes, Skyward Sword, yes, where Link is specifically posing with the Master Sword in the same way that Gwendolyn is posing with the Arkin Blade. And I'm like, ah, yes. So there, Mm. it wasn't just a traditional pose that the Mm. cover was referring to. It was specifically, this was a huge reference here. Mm. And the whole thing with Gwendolyn posing with the sword pointed down, but also wearing the regalia with like the huge feathered cloak and the enormous crown jewels on her head. It's like, oh yes, mm. it's supposed to be a very serious pose. And then mm. the nag pokes his head in right in fucking front of her, be like, I'm sorry, is it time for my scene yet? Literally photo bombing what is supposed to be the promotional poster for this book. I love it. <laughs> now I have some thoughts about uh, like these two covers of like the Princess Thieves, and funnily enough, the one that I have less to potentially say about is the Thief Knights and Dragonflies, because mm-hmm. I say funnily enough because that's the next part of the Princess Thieves story. Mm-hmm. So you would think that I have a bit more to go on to sort of think about what's going on. I know that they are going to be going on a quest involving the dragons, I forget exactly how that ties up because I only listened to The Princess Thieves once. I'm actually exactly halfway through my re-listen. I'm just uh, assisting Alex with a sort of just editing pass, essentially. This is sort of like tying into that, and I definitely get this sense that it's giving you a lot of the characters that you know by the end of the first book. Here's the gang. Here are the Princess Thieves all in like one cover and Oberon is looking a bit sort of unsure of all of this. He's just like, what is going on? Like he, everyone is looking fanciful and like romantic as fuck. And it's just Oberon is there chaperoning the party and he doesn't look like he has much time for it. It's great. It looks very exciting. You even get all these multiple elements involved in there from the fire to the right and the top half of it. But in the middle, you have snow with, even though like the nag is wearing the hoff thing in reference, you can see there is snow on his hooves. So I had to assume that that's not is just there snow the... on his hooves. I don't see snow. Oh, on the, maybe on the rear hooves. On the, the rear hooves, yes. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're talking about now. I am, I am zooming and enhancing the crap out of these as Enhance. we talk. But... Enhance, yes, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. But then at the bottom you have plants and floral uh, elements, which, let me just check the original Princess Thieves cover. And plants and greenery are a big part of all three of the Princess Thieves covers, and I think it's because it's going back to that fairy tales of the forest kind of quality to it it feels Mm. like that is like the element of kelador but apart from that i don't have a lot i'm excited but the thing that i have more to say about is the cover of the worst unicorn Mm. and we talked about the nag being there and the title and his presence on the poster makes you wonder is this going to be a story that's just as much about him as it is about whatever the state of the Princess Thieves is at the top point this story comes out. But I was very, very curious 
about Gwendolyn in the background. At one point, I was actually, I had this strange theory that I'm not sure I necessarily hold to now, but I wondered if this was tying into like something I remember hearing ages back about Willow thinking about the future kid of Robin and Gwen. I know that's a bit of a far-fetched thing of it, but one thing that led me to that was me wondering, is the nag looking a bit grey, like his silver mane? And on reflection, I think that his mane turns silver when he transforms into it. But I was wondering if the nag was actually looking, and I have no doubt that he is like very, very old. So whatever the span of a human generation, I don't know if that would necessarily age him unless something in the story means there's been a toll on him. But I was wondering if that would be the case. So I don't think that this is necessarily Gwen's daughter. I think this is still Gwen. Mm -hmm. But there is something very interesting about her outfit. I don't just mean that she looks like she is crowned. Like At this point, she looks like a queen or king or what Mm. have you. I'm curious about the colours of her vest and her jacket. Mm -hmm. Because pointedly, in Thief Knights and Dragonflights... Gwen and a lot of the other characters are more or less wearing what their outfits were in the first book. And Gwen has the same colour of the blue with the red, a bit like another new century uh, protagonist, I hasten <laughs> to add. And she even has the exact same like tiara I've, mm. I've checked. Something that I wondered, mm-hmm, it's not a thought I like to indulge in, but this to me looks a bit like Gwen might be a bit more somber. The fear I have, the fear of God that I have in me, is that it looks as if she is not only taken on the pink-purple vest of Viola, but the jacket of Robin. And I almost wonder if, at this point, this is a much more isolated cover for her, where it's just her and the nag, And we don't know what the end of Thief Knights will end up being, but I wonder if, whether through their deaths or through some other developments, she has been isolated and she can only carry Viola and Robin with her and maybe only has the nag for companionship. So this is kind of like where my theories are going at the moment because it just seems like notable that at this point... Gwen no longer has her colours that have been there for two covers previous. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> As it always is. Yeah. That is some definitely some intriguing speculation there. I'm not entirely sure that I agree, but I'm not entirely sure that I disagree either. <laughs> if there's one thing that seems clear about what Alex has in plan... There's big warning lights specifically alluding to that by making Thief Knights emblematic of the Empire Strikes Back is specifically that it's entirely possible that book will end on some kind of dark note, Mm -hmm. much the way that Empire did. And it's going to require the characters, but also possibly Gwendolyn herself to rise up against a downfall much the way that 
Empire did and to a certain extent was revisited in, say, The Last Jedi. And that also feels kind of connected in terms of Alex's own frustration with his home in Britain and, Mm. you know, his own frustration with the way politics have gone and the way that people have responded to it and many other social issues as well. So in some ways, even though Princess Thieves had a bit of a complicated victory at the end, it still feels like with all of her companions around her, she's still coming off a little bit of a high, believing Mm. that together they can accomplish everything and the possibility that at the end of Thief Nights, she may be more disabused of that notion that her idealism and that her belief in the capacity to make anything possible together may be somewhat disabused. That's certainly where I think the story might be heading. So Mm. if she's more somber in The Worst Unicorn, it's Mm. likely to be caused by the events, but I don't think we should worry all that much about whether it means that certain characters are necessarily not going to be around for The Worst Unicorn. The way I interpreted the purple of her outfit in the second cover... First of all, she's already wearing the enormous crown jewels. And Mm. purple is generally supposed to be the royal color. So this could just be a more formal outfit that she's wearing that goes a little bit hand in hand with the feathered cape, which has no, like... that. It's something we associate with royalty in general, as being like part of the formal regalia and everything like that, but doesn't have any greater association with New Century specifically. But on top of that, also looking closer at the green jacket, which you referred to earlier, while it can't possibly be Robin's, because Robin's Robin's Mm. jacket would be far too small for her to wear, for one thing, and this one seems very specifically tailored Mm to fit her, as we already know, plus-sized body. There's enough similarity going on there that I do have to wonder if she asked for this to be a part of her current regalia for a reason. I should add, of course, that purple isn't Viola's color. Her color is pink. Mortimer was the one that wore the deep purple. And while I doubt Gwendolyn would normally wear anything in thought of the mercenary member of the Wilson family, she might do it if Mortimer makes the ultimate sacrifice for them in Book 2. Intriguingly enough, after we recorded on this topic, Alex posted a change to the Thief Knights cover on the Discord, where Mortimer wore purple and lavender, and Viola wore two different shades of pink, They both now wear green shirts or vests under their traditional jackets. Even Viola's boots are now green. I have to wonder if the garment change is a signal of some sort of party unity, since Oberon and Robin always had green as part of their ensemble to invoke the mythology of the original Robin Hood. At this juncture, I'm not sure we can say at all if the colors Gwen is wearing in the worst unicorn cover are relevant. 
But as mentioned earlier, based on the fact that Alex deliberately changed his working cover long before publishing, I can't say that they aren't, either. In point of fact, the entire impetus for this show feels a little silly, given the conventional wisdom regarding judging a book by its cover. But, given how much thought Alex puts into everything, the covers are not above scrutiny. Besides, he likes to hear people speculate, so we do. While I Mm. would be very sad to find out that their relationship came to any kind of an end for whatever reason, I wouldn't be surprised if Alex pulled something like that along the way, because Mm -hmm. as we've already discussed recently in our interview with the Shaws in regards to Stone Spring Maidens, the tendency of romantic relationships in New Century is generally for them to have a number of bumps along the way for various kinds of reasons. Therefore, the happy ending that Harry and Penny get is a bit of an outlier as as far as New Century is concerned. Uh, not filling me with hope, Greg. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like I'm trying to set expectations appropriately because absolutely things are definitely going to get worse for the Princess Thieves as a group before they get better. Much mm-hmm. as they did for most of the rest of the cast in Phase 2, in terms of James and Abigail having to have a bit of a downfall before they can rise back up. Mm. Something similar happening with Frank and with some of the other stuff going on, even inside the encapsulated story of Panther Soul, in terms of coming back down to your lowest point before rising back up to become a better person to meet the challenge to deal with your own internal stuff. There are clear patterns that exist throughout New Century in general and throughout storytelling as a part of the wider lens and everything like that. And Alex loves all different kinds of stories as well as the patterns that emerge in terms of the way these stories are told the pathos that is included in them and the heights and lows that individuals and groups go to as they continue along their journey. I don't necessarily think that there is a whole lot that we can say for certain, except for those big sweeping pronouncements, except for the fact that I'm definitely curious what kind of antagonist our purple dragon is going to be. The cover of Thief Knights, because they are currently holding the position of being like the looming shadowy antagonist figure as far Mm. as the story is concerned. They're where, you know, Thanos is in the Infinity War movie or as the shadow of Darth Vader is in the Empire Empire Strikes Strikes Back. Exactly. The image in the background of all of the dragons in the fiery blasted plains very much has a feel of like, this is the world that the dragons come from. And there was already some discussion about going there at the end of the princess thieves. It may well be that they go there and end up not. Some of their failure is in regards to dealing with the drakes as a threat to to the Duarte, but also trying to achieve their aid 
in the greater goal of freeing their world from the tyranny of Coriolanus and everything like that. And as far as that green stuff in the background, it definitely feels different to the greenery of Princess Thieves. But the two things that come to mind are, A, the tangled vines that are symbolic of, say, Sleeping Beauty. Mm. And so, therefore, these vines may be magical in origin and Mm -hmm. be symbolic of some sort of obstacle or something or other that the Princess Thieves have to deal with as a part of that particular story. I also thought that there might be some some element of it that is emblematic of Saitash. But to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure how Saitash would cross over with the story arc of the Princess Thieves, as that would Mm. have seemed far more to be the source of the threat of the Wendigo in Century, or to be more specific, in the North American part of the New Mm. Century story. On top of that, the color of Saitash was always more described as a sickly olive rather than this vibrant green. Bringing that back in for the Princess Thieves story, I'm not quite sure how that would fit together. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that like the greenery is even meant to be indicative of like something ominous. I think that it is actually a contrast to the sort of the fire of the top half and is mm. actually emblematic of hope and like life and vitality. I actually twin it with the thief knights themselves, which you could argue are the princess thieves, that mm. you know, they are the thief knights. In point of fact, the final note of the previous book implies a title drop, but I think thief knights actually works far better as a group name for the whole of them. Given Gwen is the princess that they quote-unquote stole, and she is now the figurehead of the group. It's not quite like Guardians of the Galaxy, which was always an amusing name, since even as of the second movie, they were still more mercenaries for hire than outright heroes, and the name was more group marketing than statement of purpose. Thief Knights, on the other hand, does feel like a statement of purpose. What I'm about to say might be a complete coincidence, but a reoccurring thing I'm seeing is like vaguely heart-shaped collections of leaves, mm. which I think may be a little just sort of subtle, like you don't even notice it, enhancement of the romantic elements of the cover, the poster. In fact, there's even right at the bottom on one of the branches there's a red leaf which looks exactly like a red heart it's very small but if you zoom in Mm -hmm. it is almost like dead center of like the bottom row of plants so Mm -hmm. if you can see that you can see what i'm talking about i think that it's kind of emblematic of hope and vitality and yes love and not just the love between gwen and robin who are the like absolute central uh, Han and Leia romance of the page with, I believe, Robin taking Leia's positioning on the front cover. Like, yeah. I think that Gwen has the Han thing, though I think the, the nag is potentially trying to usurp that and get the sort of <laughs> <laughs> the Hoth thing going. I'm very excited. I'm reading 
or re-listening through uh, Princess Thieves has definitely made me fall back in love with this particular side of New Century. I do want to go back. I worry for when we do, because like Alex, I know that this is a sort of side of New Century's world which twinned with our own experiences. I am all too aware of how much this real-world parallel to this part of the world has failed us consistently and persistently. And I can't help but imagine that in addition to all the usual pressures of going into a land filled with dragons, I think that this book is going to show the pressures of what the real world Britannica has done to these characters and by proxy Alex and the rest of us. Mm. Also, just in terms of like, yes, I do appreciate Gwendolyn being in the Han position as far as the poster is concerned, but also just from a practical standpoint, Gwendolyn is tall enough and Robin is small enough that she would have to dip him. It couldn't mm. happen the reverse. Mm. Uh, at least not unless Gwendolyn was already laying down or something like that. But I also appreciate the juxtaposition in terms of the symbology of the mm. more powerful uh, Gwendolyn, what with her Shira powers with the Arkenblade and everything like that. Mm. But Robin just happily being perfectly fine with her being the one to lead and dip him, so to speak. It's very much in line with Elder of His Ark in the first book, which I, I find Robin's Ark quite a fascinating one because I, and I do want to move on to some of the other covers because otherwise we'll run out of time before mm. we can even talk about them. But Robin never is someone who like really is so egotistical him going into the robin hood persona is very much that he loves the like delivering this character and he loves being that for people but i don't necessarily think that that is the same as the ego of say baltus those are very different forms of self-importance and i don't really correlate that to robin at all but nevertheless he like goes on this journey of de-emphasizing his own importance almost by necessity where he is saying find other heroes where it can't all just come down to him it's not just he's fine with but it is a damn privilege for him to provide support to someone else especially Gwen on her journey so I think that this is indicative of that very sort of suitable like dynamic between the two continuing and i can't wait to see it mm -hmm. when i started editing this episode i was just going to do it all in one go and have an extra long episode of your favorite mad fanboys speculating wildly but we've got 40 minutes at least left discussing castle of the moon and the black ronin to go and more significantly maureen will be visiting the following week i want to make the most of my time with her at a time of editing, me and Toby just recorded the final two episodes worth of Behind the White Scarves for Stone Spring Maidens. Due to some powerful energy where we devolved into laughing fits, I expect that session will require more editing work to make it usable. So part two of our discussion will come out that week, giving me more time to hone our final Behind the White Scarves episodes for following weeks. So next time... 
we've got Vampires and Samurai, as well as a bit of bonus content on our next trip through the Windor.